If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mindshock True Crime. This is your host, Bruce McGuire. And Sid Irwin here. And today we are going over another case of wrongful conviction. Is this case even more atrocious than the Stephen Avery Brendan Dassey convictions? Now, once again, I must clarify, wrongful conviction does not necessarily mean the individual was innocent. It means the law was not followed. It means that their guilt was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt as they are entitled to by their constitutional and natural rights. So the case we're looking over today is that of Jermaine Scott. And uh, people close to Jermaine actually contacted me to cover the case on Mindshock. So in this introductory episode, we're just going to go over his case and some of the uh, issues on the side of the prosecution. As always, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. If you like the podcast, hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media platforms. And you could also like our Facebook page and check us out. Twitter, Reddit, Patreon, and patrons do get priority in requests. All right, Sid. So you have not been familiarized with this case prior to this podcast? No, I have not. All right, so here's... So Jermaine Scott actually has, has his own website. It's justice, the number four, germaine.wordpress.com. I'm just going to go over his story in his own words first, and then we will look at exactly what happened here. So this is, in his own words, my story. I willingly admit that I wasn't an angel when I was in society and squandered many opportunities to live life the right way. He made this statement on April 2015. My story begins on December 3rd, 1996. A man's life was taken, and quite honestly, it was a senseless killing. The man died at the hands of a robbery attempt that went horribly wrong. The reason for this robbery, I believe, was for the victim's personal belongings and his car. In 1996, I was a 19-year-old boy and was heavy in the street life. Getting money and clothes was the theme of my life. Chasing money was what I lived for. I was no angel citizen, a punk, a naive, a young naive boy who wanted to fit in with the crowd I lived amongst. I could sit here and blame my background, my lack of education, my broken family, my neighborhood, the lack of opportunities boys like me had available to them once we left or th were thrown out of school, or peer pressure as the reasons why I chose to take that path in life, but I can't. I chose that path, and I take full responsibility for my decision. All right, so already he's already standing out as clearly... Like, this guy is not the average run-of-the-mill gangbanger the prosecution would like everybody to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Like, right off the bat, he seems sincere, unless he's having somebody else write this for him. But I will continue. The first I heard about this man's murder was when it hit the local newspaper, and the only reason it drew my attention was because I recognized his name from the credit card that I had used at the mall days before. Days previously, two young men, known to me vaguely in passing, had given me this credit card and we, along with a number of other boys, had gone to the mall and purchased items using it. All of us used that credit card. 
Let me guess. The prosecution forgot that detail <laughs> in court. Okay. The two young men ended up being the state's star witnesses used against me and my silent cries of innocence in a court of law. On December 9th, 1996, the police arrested me for this man's murder. Call me naive, but right at the moment in time, I wasn't too concerned. I was innocent. I knew I hadn't killed no one, and I never have. I was one of those teenagers who thought I was truly untouchable. Besides, I had not got a criminal record. I was brought up to believe that if I told the truth, the truth would prevail at all times. I was questioned by the police who asked me if I knew the victim. I told them the truth that I did not know the victim and had never seen him in my life. They called me a liar and told me that they knew I had murdered him for his belongings and money. That was when I knew that I needed help, so I asked for a lawyer. I remember clearly that angered them, and they blurted out that my, quote, friends, the two young men, were placing all the blame solely on me. By this time, I had been interrogated for over four hours, and I was fed up. I told them, charge me or let me go, because I knew full well they had no evidence to charge me with. I was innocent of this crime. I'm sure they I'm sure they took that well having a 19-year-old kid tell them the law. It's <laughs> kind of messed up. They interrogated him for 4 hours without a lawyer. That's messed up, man. That's messed up. That's interesting. So I'm curious to know uh if it was uh the, was it the 4 hours before he asked for uh, a lawyer? That's or, what it uh... that's what it sounds like here, yes. And after looking at a whole bunch of true crime cases, this is certainly not surprising in the least. <laughs> Especially with some of those documentaries coming out on false confessions where people, where the uh, certain detectives psychologically torture innocent people to such an extent that they mentally break them so much they just admit to it just because they want it to be over. And in certain cases, certain individuals, especially younger kids, I mean, 19 is still kind of a kid, right? I mean, how smart are people when they're 19? They are still quite young, but as, as expected by them to do they'll take advantage of the fact that by the law they'll be recognized as an adult well funny you should mention that 17 year old brendan dassey who was also mentally impaired was questioned without a lawyer present and interrogated and it was a coerced confession obviously they actually recorded it you could watch it and these are detectives that are interrogating a minor and if you haven't checked out our Stephen Avery case, and so by the way, Stephen Avery was convicted entirely on the sole testimony of somebody who stated, can I go home and watch WrestleMania? Because <laughs> he just wanted to watch his pro wrestling. So he was based, they were berating him. And this is somebody with mental impairment who was a minor. So certain detectives don't seem to be concerned about the age of the person they are interrogating. But yes, just as a common, decent human being, or even even detectives, they must know. You know, a lot of 19-year-old kids might have bad friends. And, like, what are they trying to do here? They're try just trying to close a case by the numbers, like, so they really don't care if the guy's really innocent or not because in their minds he's already guilty because he associates with criminals. <laughs> it's kind of it's messed up. But anyway, so they sent me to jail and charged me with murder. It's not like it is on TV, you know. You don't get one phone call. You don't get the luxury of telling someone who loves you where you are. Nobody knew where I was until the next day when I got to call my dad right before I went to court. It was a whirlwind. In a matter of days, I went from sitting in my home to being accused of murder to being sent to court. I was 19 years old, uneducated, unknowledgeable of the justice system, 
the world, and the way both work. I was alone and confused with no representation and no understanding of the severity of the situation I had found myself in. All I knew is I was innocent, and as long as I told the truth, I would not be going to jail. The truth always comes out, right? Wrong. I was in the county lockup for nine months fighting this case. And when I say fighting, it was very unfair, unbalanced fight between the heavyweights, the police and the state prosecutors, and the lightweights, some 19-year-old punk who had no clue of how the justice system worked. An indigent defendant. Me. My dad was a working man, but we were not rich. He couldn't afford an attorney for me, so I was stuck with a state attorney lawyer. And needless to say, their heart truly wasn't into trying to defend a street gang young punk. Even back then, I knew that this wasn't going to be a fair trial. How could it be when the state was prosecuting me and it was the state who was also defending me? Uh-oh, this guy's pointing out some basic common sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, not to mention the uh, the judge works for the state as well. <laughs> it's all kind of messed up when you really think about it. Even some street punk knows that's no fair fight from the get-go. Those lawyers must have spoken to me four or five times in that whole nine and a half months in lockup. My trial lasted seven to ten days. Suffice to say, the outcome saw me get life without parole for aggravated murder, forgery, and credit card misuse. Throughout my police questioning, throughout my court hearings and trial, I maintained I was guilty of using that stolen credit card, but I was innocent of murder, burglary, and robbery. My case was appealed just once at the very lowest court in the state by yet another state-appointed lawyer. I have not spoken nor had my voice heard since the very beginning. Each time I spoke, I was called a liar. I have been on my own for quite some time now, 20 years silent until now now it's time i break my silence it's time i came home jermaine scott may 2015 so little blurb underneath that jermaine scott was sentenced to life with no chance of parole at 19 years old for a crime he did not commit this was his first and only offense no dna evidence no motive no murder weapon, no physical evidence, and false, inconsistent, contradictory witness statements. A case founded on lies with zero actual evidence to prove his guilt bar two witness statements. Isn't hearsay not supposed to be admissible in court? Oh, there's certain rules and conditions behind it. So it's, you know, it would be a testimony still is viable in court. It wouldn't be the only thing that would literally get somebody arrested. And that's what makes this even weirder. So I was about to ask me what other kind of evidence do they have? And the sound of it, especially with no physical evidence, no motive, it's extremely odd. It definitely points more towards the concept that they were trying to close this case quick for whatever reason they had. You know what's kind of bizarre is that... Um... People kind of, with all of these uh, false convictions coming out and exonerations due to new DNA evidence in the in recent history, I mean, people are becoming less and less surprised when some of these cases are brought to light. And you know what's really scary is to think about how many people are wrongfully convicted that people will never know about because they just didn't have the media or for whatever reason, they never got to the truth never got to come out. I mean, the numbers could be staggering, even if it's only 1% or 1% to 2% yeah. 
of the total prison population. What if it's 5%? I mean, that's really scary to think about, right? Are you really going to put your faith in, um, in some of these uh, law enforcement agencies and government officials that keep getting proven corrupt over and over again? It's kind of really, really scary to think about. Can I agree with that? It's easy for people to say, oh, well, it's definitely more than 90%. It's all legit. I mean, that's easy to say, but what if you're caught on the wrong side of that 90? Very true. So in general, like this case got me thinking, though, like, let's say you're out with two friends of yours who happen to kill a guy and steal his credit card. And you guys are just, you know, out on the town and you don't know about it. Like, let's take it a step further. This guy is admitting that he knew the card was stolen and that he was like a low level type gang criminal, whatever. Yeah. What if what if he didn't even admit that? What if he thought these guys were his friends and he thought that credit card was theirs? And then all of a sudden they pin it on him. That's, you know, like, what if you're in that situation? Do you want to be convicted on just the words of two people using you as a patsy? I mean, isn't the standard for, shouldn't the standard of evidence be held higher than that? Especially in, uh, as like in uh, first world countries, I would definitely think so. Yeah. So basically from, from what we have here, there's no fingerprints, no DNA, no personal connection to the victim, no murder weapon no murder, no motive. So it's kind of, is that kind of weird for you? Like thinking about this case where, I mean, let's say it, let's say he really is guilty and he really did all this. How could he be in prison without any actual evidence? I mean, that's kind of weird. I mean, there, there've been cases where, where serial killers have gone free where they knew they did it, but they just didn't have that hard evidence. Like it's (laughs) It's ridiculous and very ridiculous. But yeah, like, like you said, serial killers have gotten off without having said hard evidence. But you know, clearly, you know, the law enforcement they definitely know that without it's just they need to prove it in court. But yet, a kid here, again, no, no knowledge of the law or anything like that, and just quick, fast, and in a hurry, just convict him based on that alone. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, even still. Even with those kids that uh did uh, turn against, I mean, not saying they could have killed said person or he or whatever, they could have just found the body, you know, themselves taking the walls before you know it was even reported. Use the cards as well, and just who knows for a hell of a kid, depending on just because they want to find some quick way to get themselves out of trouble. Yeah, is it is it really is it really that surprising that some uh, low level street people would use someone as a fall guy to get off? Like it's it's no. kind of weird. Is that really that surprising? And I'm surprised that detectives they you know didn't seem to show any effort in trying to work any kind of other angles or thought processes right there. And again, as you said before, I mean, it's, I mean, mind you, there are killers who you know have been you know, committed no crimes prior to uh, any sort of killing and, you know, obviously have been convicted and found guilty and legitimately were, you know, responsible for said crime. All right, so that that was his introduction. So let me, uh, I'm going to read something from Be the Rain, the Lost, Destroyed, or Even a Hidden Case of Jermaine Scott. So this was actually published September 23rd, 2017 by James Didick. So... Jermaine Scott was arrested on the 9th, 96 for the murder of Bertram Thomas six days previous. 
Other charges directed at Scott included credit card fraud and handling of stolen goods. Whilst these charges at first appear benign, they are extremely important to the makeup of this case. I shall elaborate further shortly. Upon arrest, Scott freely admitted to fraudulent use of a credit card and possession of stolen goods, but pleaded not guilty to the murder of Thomas. After a trial lasting barely one week, Scott was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Scott, 19 years old at the time of his arrest, was heavy in the street life by his own admission. The gang culture that he was party to led to him coming into the possession of a stolen credit card. The credit card in question was that of the murder victim, Bertram Thomas. According to Scott, the credit card had been given to him by two vague acquaintances, and Scott, along with one of them, had used the card to acquire goods. More importantly, Scott was the only one charged with credit card fraud and possession of stolen goods. As for the other two youths involved, should we call them youths or youths? Are we going to go... Uh... My cousin Vinny on this one. <laughs> they became the state's start witnesses. Between the time of Scott's arrest in December of 96 and his trial the following September, no DNA evidence was submitted by the prosecution that linked him to the crime scene. No murder weapon was recovered. Neither was there any evidence produced that Scott had ever met the victim. The only evidence put forward that Scott had been accounted for the murder of Thomas was testimony given by Michael Ennis and Terry Portman. Ennis testified that he was involved in the fraudulent use of a credit card and, in turn, possession of stolen goods via the use of the victim's credit card. During trial, Ennis testified to having known Thomas for approximately eight to nine years, but stated that he had not seen the victim for almost a year prior to that fateful evening of Thomas's death. However, during cross-examination by Scott's defense attorney, it was established that both Ennis and Portman had both spent time with Thomas in the weeks and months leading up to his death. Wait, so even the state attorney uncovered this and nobody batted an eye? That's kind of weird. That's extremely weird. From Ennis's arrest on the 9th of December through grand jury trial in April of 97 to his final testimony at the trial of Jermaine Scott that September of that same year, the story that he told changed dramatically. This can be seen via the trial transcripts that I have shared towards the end of this article. I feel the need to break stride at this juncture, not to confuse, but to clarify. Wherever possible, it is of the utmost importance to aid the reader with all source materials I have at my disposal. Everything that I have access to, I want you to have access to. The only times that this may not occur would be for confidentiality reasons. By this, I mean the materials given to me by parties that do not wish to be named. However, where possible, I will still provide these sources, but in a redacted form. I will give each reader open access to my sources. Much of this regarding Jermaine's case will come via Dropbox. Nothing that I have will be hidden. You have free reign. Transparency is key. I shall return to this point later on in the article regarding obtained public records, or more pertinently, not being able to obtain public records. A matter of weeks previous to the death of Thomas, Scott had been arrested by the same officers relating to a crime that he did not commit. Shortly after the correct suspect was apprehended and charged with the crime, the officers had to apologize to Scott for this, and by his own admission, Jermaine was a, quote, cheeky bastard, end quote, and gave them plenty of grief over the wrong arrest. Uh-oh. This, 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 spell, this spells damaged egos, and that could lead to uh, some serious issues here. How come none of this? What? Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, man, this, this is not looking good already. 
Scott was not well liked, and partly this was of his own doing. However, this a murderer does not make. Prior to Scott's conviction for murder, he had no previous criminal record. Ennis and Portman, meanwhile, certainly did have. Only some months prior, both had been charged with assault and robbery of a citizen who lived in the very same street as Thomas. Both were still on probation during Scott's trial. I am not suggesting that Ennis or Portman were necessarily involved in the death of Thomas. However, I am strongly suggesting that both were deep in the pockets of law enforcement. Remember, no charges held against either for credit card fraud or possession of stolen goods. Why am I not surprised? The jury convicted Scott solely on the basis of Ennis and Portman's testimony, along with the fact that law enforcement actively chose not to look at any other suspects. This sounds like the Stephen Avery case as well. I could go further into trial testimony and police files relating to Scott's case, and in future articles, I most certainly will. All that has been released is contained at the end of this article. For the rest of this article, though, I want to look at public records. I should say not so public records. Perhaps I should say not so public records. Justice should not be measured in dollars and cents, nor pounds and pence. Without a doubt, the currency of a fair trial is clearly measured by means on far too many an occasion. I will be breaking down the story of Jermaine Scott's injustice over a number of articles, not just for reasons or growing exposure and the depth to which his story has sunk, but to allow for play. For each and every case that appears dead in the water, life can be breathed into what seems a lifeless body. By play, I mean concourse. I want discussion. I welcome debate. If I am judged to have been unfair, I wish to hear about it. Over the remainder of the article, I'm going to be handing out some harsh criticism. The attitude of certain government agencies will be questioned. I should not have to remind them that they are in a place to offer assistance to their public. It is their role to facilitate the public within the confines of the law. Public records are so-called because, quite simply, they are records held for the public to access. These records are held at their respective counties. In the case of Jermaine Scott, he was tried in Clark County, Ohio. Copies of these documents may be requested. Many thousands of pages is very much the norm when requesting full coverage of police reports, trial exhibits, and trial transcripts, and so forth, with prices ranging from $0.10 cents right through to close to $2 in my experience alone. You can only imagine how costly acquiring these documents can become. Wait a second. Isn't this all paid by taxpayer money? Why does it need to be paid for again? That's kind of weird. All I will say is that if they were running a business with rivals, they would be bankrupt. There are no rivals in this business, though. I've had my fair share of issues when receiving documentation in the past. Okay, he's talking about, okay, the state of Jermaine Scott's public records are an entirely different sport. Buckle up and place a fan in each and every corner of the room because there's going to be expletive flying everywhere. Okay, where to begin? Firstly, it must be said that I did not pay for these records. Someone did, though, and at this juncture, they will not be named. I have full documentation via email correspondence to this between the payee and the Clark County Clerk's Office, and then slowly on up the chain. By the way, I think all of these documents are available on justiceforgermaine.wordpress.com. These emails are not for this article, as I wish to give the relevant parties involved time to get back to me. I have sent emails relating to what I am about to disclose over the coming days' articles to various departments. As yet, I have no response. I respect that people are busy, but I will not be ignored. I choose to be fair, though. Anyhow, back to the documentation. Okay. So they were overcharged more than $700 for these documents. 
Okay. Okay, so there were zero trial exhibits disclosed. So this is like a long process. He seems to be getting to run around. So here's good news. While Scott has supporters like many in prison throughout the USA, he comes from a poor background and has very few family members to help him. Recently, however, some progress has been made in potentially finding him a lawyer to look at the case. Step forward, Chicago-based exoneration specialist Kathleen Zellner. No guarantee is made, and neither can it be that Zellner and her team will take on the case. However, she has agreed in principle for her team to review the case, which is promising. So she's also currently Stephen Avery's attorney. I think she's had uh, 17 exonerations so far or something, which is more than anybody. Right. And, uh, yeah, so she also seems to be uh, very fair where uh, she wants the truth. So she kind of warns her clients that if they really did it, she's going to expose it. <laughs> so because at this point, I mean, she's she, I'm sure she's well off and she's older. She doesn't need the money. So that's something in a Stephen Avery case. The, the guilters seem to forget that. Uh, I don't know. They're so convinced of Avery's guilt on no evidence. I mean, I wonder what some of the guilters in the Stephen Avery case think of Jermaine Scott, since they don't really require evidence. At least they at least they went through the trouble of fabricating or planning the evidence in the Avery case. They didn't even do that for Jermaine. Isn't that kind of messed up? <laughs> they didn't even go through the trouble of fabricating evidence so they could at least say, oh, look, there's something to look at. They didn't even do that. Like I said, felt they didn't need it. Then. Sorry, That's messed up, man. That's messed up. But even still, for a first time, I mean, it was murder, but still, that heavy a conviction for someone that young. Yeah, the other thing that's kind of messed up is there's very little media coverage on Jermaine Scott. Almost everything I'm looking at is kind of... There's, there's really... Yeah, there's, there's really... Yeah, there's not much. Which, um, like you said before, in various cases, this happens all over occasionally and you know it's like playing part of that one that few percent that uh nobody knows about yeah the, and the numbers could be uh could be a lot higher very uh very scary stuff no 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 there's also another jermaine scott that's been that was convicted of killing his girlfriend oh my. so when you look up jermaine scott yeah there's another Jermaine, A-I-N-E instead of A-N-E. Obviously, Scott is quite a, a popular... Uh, yeah, so, okay, here's a... This is another write-up. This was on fundraiser.com, R-A-Z-R, which has an interesting write-up. This was written up supposedly by Jermaine or someone directly on his behalf as a personal campaign. It was, it does not say the date of the posting here. Jermaine Scott is a old man born in Springfield, Ohio. Jermaine was sent to prison in 97 for a crime he did not commit. In 96, Springfield, Ohio, Mr. Bertram Thomas was murdered and robbed in his home. Jermaine Scott was arrested and tried for this murder. He was found guilty and sentenced to life with no chance of parole. How is it that somebody who kills one person... Whereas these, these serial killers who have killed countless people still get paroled. It's one of those uh, very odd factors. One of those odd scenarios where a few different factors come into play. None of them, I think, are justifiable, but still potential. There's ways that could be involved. It could be the judge, the uh, location itself, the person that is on trial themselves. 
um, a certain level of uh, whether or not they've, you know, have had, uh, I don't say misgivings, but uh, previous cries before. Well, it seems, it seems like in this case, there was really some uh, unpleasant sentiment between uh, Jermaine and the officers who falsely arrested him before. Because it's, it's almost, this is almost like a mirror of the Stephen Avery case, because Stephen Avery was framed for an assault he did not commit. And those same people, like you had guys coming out of retirement to frame him as soon as he got out of, as soon as he was exonerated, 18, he served 18 years for a crime he didn't commit. Now he's suing them for that. And then all, all of a sudden he's magically convicted for another crime. So that's a little suspect. In this, in this case, we seem to have some ego tripping going on because if these were the particular officers that arrested him before, and he kind of rubbed it in their face, which, I mean, maybe not the wisest thing to do on his behalf. But, you know, again, as a 19-year-old kid, if someone blames you of doing something you didn't do and then it comes out clear, you're going to want to hold their feet to the fire, right? Because why are they unjustly acute? Like, how would they like it if they were arrested for something they didn't do? So... It's yeah, it's it's all a big mess. But so Jermaine is innocent and has persistently maintained his this throughout the investigation trial and every day since there was and still is no physical or forensic evidence linking Jermaine to this murder. No DNA of Jermaine's, no fingerprints, skin cells or hair traces have ever been found on the victim in the victim's home, in the victim's car, which the real culprit stole or on any items retrieved as evidence from the crime scene. All physical evidence proved his innocence. It was only the words and lies of two state witnesses and a number of other witnesses who also testified in trial who sealed Germain's fate and future. Each person who testified against Germain in trial gave false testimonies in exchange for a no-charge deal. All these witnesses were themselves involved in the robbery murder and the forgery of the victim's checks use of credit card to varying degrees, most with previous connections for similar crimes. They all willingly admitted they were at the scene of the crime and witnessed the murder and or they admitted to being involved in the following forgery crimes. Physical evidence also existed to prove these individuals were involved to varying degree, yet none of them received any charges for their factual involvement. None of them were treated as suspects, even though police were aware that the two state star witnesses in particular had strong motive, opportunity, and knowledge of the victim, both having a long, turbulent, violent history with the victim and a thorough knowledge of his homes and his belongings. Germain has never been to the victim's home, nor has any knowledge of the victim or his belongings. This was proved to be factual in trial when no evidence could be given to prove Jermaine had ever had any contact with the victim or had ever stepped foot inside the victim's house. This was also backed up by the victim's daughter and close friend's neighbors also testifying that they had never seen Jermaine Scott before at their father's slash neighbor's home. From a forensic point of view, Jermaine had never been at the crime scene had not pulled a gun, his clothes proved negative for a gun residue or blood spatter, had not been in the victim's stolen car, and had not had any contact with the victim. Forensically, Jermaine was and is innocent. The only thing connecting Jermaine to this crime was that police found the victim's credit card in his home 
and that he was positively identified as being one of the people who used the card fraudulently the day after Mr. Thomas was murdered. Jermaine has always admitted to his involvement in the use of the card. The card was given to him by the two state star witnesses who then accompanied him to the mall and who all went on to use the card. What do you think those uh, these two state star witnesses were thinking? So they 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 if they kill this guy, then they they go to the mall. They're like, let's get a patsy. Let's use this guy here. Here's a card. Let's go buy some cool stuff. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be pretty cold. as cold as you have to be to kill somebody. How cold do you have to be to to be pretending to be having fun using the dead guy's credit card with the patsy that you've selected, who happens to be a nineteen year old kid? <laughs> That's cold. That's cold. Uh, right? To be disliked by the cops, depending on from what this sounds like with his uh, well, unsavory relationship with them. Yeah, um, especially if they tried to pin something on him before that he was innocent of. And even more so than that, you got a question, which is odd, to um, if this were the actual case, considering that Jermaine doesn't have isn't on the best terms with said police of uh, that district or whatever you want to say. For them to kind of deal with these other two with basically full immunity to suggest that the gravity situation suggested them to, you know, again, say, say that solely Jermaine is the ringleader on this one and the committer of the crime and the murder. That would be terrifying if that was legit the case, if they wanted to give back him that much that they would. But why it's it's almost what's even more shocking to me, couldn't they at least have planted something? Isn't that the usual MO when they're framing somebody? Like at least put some kind of physics because this looks too obvious now, right? Because how are you gonna convict somebody on the on just words? That that's kind of weird. Exactly. I mean, and anytime someone's mad at somebody, they could just be like, Oh, this person stole this or beat me or killed our cat who went missing. And no evidence required. I mean, what happened to beyond a reasonable doubt? What happened to that? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> and um, like you asked me before about uh, those who give uh, statements or testimonies, I mean, like I said, usually certain um, requirements are certainly levels to be filled out. Like, uh, not to say that those with an unsavory past can't, you know, honestly tell the truth and be actual witnesses. It's just that more so than not, they try to avoid taking those kind of uh, statements from... Uh, those would check your past like that because they um, either could be uh, either, either be corrupt for having their own personal means necessary to try to lie about someone or uh, just overall just might be untrust, untrustworthy to, to begin with. Yeah, there, there are some dark implications could be here too. Who, if, the, if these two individuals are not the perpetrators of the crime and someone else was, and then they got these two guys to incriminate Jermaine, that's even, you know, that's pretty dark too, because that means all of these people are kind of like pawns or patsies in a certain way. Like how much dirt does somebody else have on these two guys if they weren't the ones that committed this crime? But this all reminds me of uh, Injustice for All. Have you ever seen that old Al Pacino movie from the 70s? Um, no, I have not. And the, the, his, um, yeah, his monologue in that where he just kind of uh, disparages the justice system is, is quite an apt comparison here. But he opens up his statement and he's kind of like, I'm wondering where the state's case is because they forgot to bring it. Do you see it? I don't see it. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty amusing and and also troubling, and uh, the foreshadowing of of even more injustice to come in that film was was quite disturbing. But it's highly recommended for anybody who uh, who's a fan of not only Pacino but uh, the true crime genre or any kind of courtroom drama in general. And, so, um, thinking about that, just to, sorry, just to say. Um... Despite uh, the prosecutors and the evidence and, and um, the police themselves, I mean, and the judge, but the jury itself, too, I have to wonder if, that, if all that was the evidence that, that was presented to them, how is it that they could really come to a conviction like that? That is troubling as well, but from, from what I've seen in a lot of cases, there there could be just some emotional manipulation where they say, look, th- this really is the guy, uh, you know, the evidence might not be here, but we need to lock him up because don't you guys care about your children or your family members? This guy's going to kill again. So it's like almost like uh, emotional nonsense, obviously. They just plead. like, yeah, a lot of the, the jury could either be scared or susceptible to emotional pleas. I mean, some people think that the best way to fix the justice system or juries is to have, you know, a logic test, <laughs> you know, because if people are just going to say everybody's guilty or even conversely, if they're going to say everybody's innocent, no matter what, I mean, are they really the best jury to have? So, for example, I think if if you say you're prejudiced or whatever, you get ex- you get excused from the jury, right? So, that's, if, having gone through the process, yes, you could. So, if you're allergic, if if you're allergic to logic in any kind of way, shouldn't you be excused as well? Or if you're just overly emotional and you can't process actual logic or physical evidence or the actual what beyond a reasonable doubt even means, if if you're not fit to process that, should you be on a jury? I don't know. Um, it's a part of it, uh, yeah, during the process to, uh, question whether or not you have to understand. Yeah, but you could say you understand without understanding, right? Or you could even think you understand. I'm not, I'm not saying the jury members are trying to deceive anybody, but Dunning-Kruger is a real issue where people often think they are smarter than themselves. One only has to spend about a minute on social media to see that phenomenon. <laughs> and that, I, <laughs> no, I absolutely, uh, agree with you on that. And that's, um, again... Uh, anytime humans are involved, error is possible. So Jermaine has always admitted to his involvement in the use of the credit card. This card was given to him by the two state start witnesses who then accompanied Jermaine to the mall and who all went to use the card. Jermaine insists at no point did either witness inform him the card belonged to a dead man. They invited him to join them in purchasing goods on the card they had in their possession. Both state witnesses were also positively identified as using the card by the mall staff, yet it was only Jermaine who was charged with forgery. Both witnesses received no charges for their equal involvement in the use of the card. Due to the lies told by these two witnesses, who they themselves should have been treated as main suspects, Jermaine was found guilty. We have spent many years piecing together this crime and the police investigation, collating as much new evidence and information as possible to not just prove Jermaine's innocence, but also to prove who the real killer is. The real killer of Mr. Bertram Thomas has been free to live their life unpunished for 23 years. I think this was came out last year. Jermaine has been living in hell for this person's crime for 23 years. This is not justice. We have since discovered Key pieces of physical evidence, fingerprints, bloodstains, and fibers had been recovered by Springfield police, but had been left untested. Do you find that strange, Sid? 
that they would not even test the evidence at the crime scene. What is the reason for this? It's just strange, but shameful, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, normally I'll be going over this in another episode, possibly on crime lab corruption. The easiest way to plant evidence is to simply switch labels. So if they were testing it in the lab, they could just switch it. If it wasn't Jermaine Scott's sample, they could just switch the label and say it was, right? Of course. But they didn't even bother to do that. I mean, it's almost kind of insulting. How would you feel if you were kind of railroaded or wrongfully convicted and these people didn't even bother to put in the effort to even, you know, plant a sample or mislabel a sample? I mean, how would that? I can imagine that. Like, would you would you be even more insulted? Like, <laughs> I'd be curious. That like, is... you're not even worth the effort of a label switch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's messed up, man. That that's that's really really messed up. I mean, even more obviously, you know, it's even more messed up because if you're an innocent in the first place, but you would think. Like how lazy are some of these uh whoever's if doing this? Going to be framed, you think be yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, so yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. These fingerprints and blood stains and fiber strands found on the victim and in the victim's stolen car would have no doubt proved Jermaine's innocence and also confirmed who the other suspect's killer was. There was also many items of evidence collected from the crime scene by SPD that could have easily been tested for fingerprints and against other more viable suspects. For some reasons unknown, SPD only ran these fingerprints against Germain's, all of which came back negative as a match to Germain. They were never tested against anyone else. So wait a second. They test the physical evidence, and they're negative, and they're like, yep, this guy did it. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm not. I'm not following. I'm not following the thought process. Can you help me out here? <laughs> I'm really lost. Unless maybe, perhaps, like I said, well, this is. Uh, we're not assessing as to whether Jermaine's guilt or innocence was just the wrongful process in and of itself. So, yeah, maybe, maybe. exactly. But exactly. And in the case of Stephen Avery, I really don't understand people's problems with Kathleen Zellner. I mean, if 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 Avery's really innocent, what's the problem with verifying that? Like if it's really that like same thing with this case, if he's really if he's really guilty, wh why why not test the other uh, untested samples? Why not test them? Why not see who they really belong to? Because if these other individuals, if the state star witnesses, if they really are innocent, why you you know, I don't know, why, why does it matter? And were the star witnesses um, present at trial? Yes, they were, and they testified against him on whose sole testimony he was convicted of, convicted of the crime in absence of actual physical evidence. I mean, that's kind of strange. Like, let's say you're a police officer. You think you think this. You're a detective. You think this guy did it. You test it. It comes back negative. You're like, oh, yep. I guess it's him then. <laughs> I'm not fo I'm not following that process, but again, it could still be him, obviously, for other reasons. But like, w what are those other reasons? Shouldn't they be presented at trial? I mean, it looks like they were not. So uh, they feel that Jermaine might be guilty of something else that they can never that they couldn't pin him on. All right, get ready, yeah. get get ready to be even more outraged, Sid. Right. So they came back negative as a match to Jermaine. They were never tested against anyone else. Huh. At, had they been, we are positive the fingerprints would have matched against the other more viable suspects that SPD chose to ignore. Here's the kicker. These key pieces of evidence were kept hidden from the jury 
at his trial. So they did not disclose any of this to the jury. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, as you told me before, I mean, just from, you told me multiple times from what was presented at trial, I'm like, well, these were the only pieces of evidence presented. So, of course, you know, the jury, that's all they had to go with. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, yes, yeah, definitely far from a fair trial. Jermaine Scott had an unfair and biased trial with law enforcement picking and choosing which pieces of evidence and witnesses to use and which pieces to not use to make sure they got the outcome they wanted regardless of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We are a small team of supporters, family, and loved ones who have spent many years trying desperately to prove Jermaine's innocence and wrongful conviction and to obtain legal representation for him. None of us have legal experience, but we do have the strong knowledge, facts, and belief that two great crimes were committed. The murder of an innocent man and also the wrongful conviction of an innocent young man, both with their whole lives ahead of them. Both have had their lives stolen from them unfairly. Both deserve justice. We have now come to a point in our work in proving Jermaine's innocence and in proving there was, is, many other potential and viable suspects to now desperately need legal representation. So they can take over our work with their legal expertise, take the necessary steps needed to making a strong case to secure Jermaine a retrial and securing his freedom. We have uncovered many worrying errors, evidence untested, evidence lost, reports missing, reports incomplete, many inconsistencies and other strong potential suspects and their motives left uninvestigated by officials. We want all of Jermaine Scott's case to be reviewed. This includes the new evidence, the errors throughout the investigation, and the many errors during his trial, plus all the investigation work and legal work completed by the Springfield, Ohio law enforcement justice system. We believe a retrial will only lead to one possible outcome, and that is that Jermaine Scott is and was innocent. So, yes, you can also uh, make a donation. You can look at justice, the number four, germane.wordpress.com to people more interested in this case. So, yeah, this is quite bizarre. I actually am a bit surprised at how, I mean, this is even more of a, I mean, as far as some of these other wrongful convictions, I mean, is this one of the most obvious ones you've heard so far? I mean, there's literally no evidence. They didn't even bother going through the trouble of fabricating or planting any. I mean, these, uh, like, a trial like this are the kinds I've heard of uh, way, like, you know, further back in the day, like uh, 60s, 70s, or even, hell, just like olden times, but I want to phrase it that way. Where literally, if someone told you, hey, that person stole my goat, everyone's like, well, that person clearly must have stole his goat. I don't see why that man would lie. <laughs> Which is ridiculous and terrifying. So, a, a, a couple more details. This was from a news article at the time from the media coverage, Springfield Man Arrested in Slaying of Ex-Teacher. This was a Miriam Smith article. Springfield police detectives arrested a 19-year-old city man late Monday in the fatal shooting of Bertram S. Thomas Jr., whose body was discovered Friday. So, Jermaine Scott was charged with aggravated murder, said Police Lieutenant Wayne Ayers. Okay, Thomas, 55, was shot once in the back of the head at his home 
according to Debbie Schaefer, Clark County's coroner's investigator. He died sometime between Wednesday and Friday. Police would not provide any information on the motive for the slaying. Thomas's body was found on a basement floor. A glass ashtray and cigarette butts were found next to his body, a police report said. No weapon was found in the house, and there was no sign of struggle, the report said. So that's pretty interesting. What does that tell you? I mean, it's a few things, especially if there's no sign of struggle. One, it could show that uh, that whoever killed him, he might have actually known allowed him to get that close. Well, what it says there was no sign of a struggle. So, again, if there's no evidence Jermaine ever visited the victim's home where there is evidence that these two star witnesses had been there and had an ongoing relationship with the guy and had seen him throughout the year and, and a troubled relationship at that. Supposedly, there was a violent history there. So, yeah, just a couple little details, and we will be diving deeper into all of the details in the next episode. But this is uh, this definitely surprised me a little bit. I wasn't expecting a complete lack of evidence like this. I was expecting a little bit more of a, a gray area where there was evidence that may or may not be legitimate, that uh, some of this I, – I also – that detail about Jermaine being falsely – arrested and accused of another crime before and not having a good relationship with the police because of that. That's quite interesting as well. I mean, these are things that uh, you can't just, you can't just sweep them under the rug. They could be very pertinent, right? Indeed. The devil is in the details. So yes. And in mind shock, we leave no stone unturned. So this will definitely be uh eye-opening for certain individuals to believe that uh, the justice system always gets it right and that uh, fair trials are all that all trials are fair because that does not seem to be the case and hopefully Kathleen Zellner does officially take his case because I mean I don't see why she wouldn't I mean this is kind of like an obvious miscarriage of justice and that's kind of her specialty so and she's uh, she's definitely got experience with uh, with corruption in the court system so but we, uh, yeah, we'll be covering the case and uh, hopefully uncovering more bizarre oddities that could lead to uh, the truth. Because if he is really guilty, I mean, you'd have to actually prove that. So I'm sure the victim's family wants the real killer as well. So you have to agree on that. I'm not sure, like, if, if a loved one was uh, was killed, I'm not sure the words of humans would be enough for you to feel that justice was served. So. I think uh, I think something a little bit more than the words of uh, street criminals would be required, but I don't know. Everybody's different. <laughs> Indeed, um, I can't lie. Uh, I have heard stories where people are so grieved that literally anybody to blame would suffice once they could just put that rage somewhere. Yes, yes. Well, we hope you enjoyed another edition of Mindshock True Crime. If you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Any questions, comments, theories, thoughts of any kind, leave them in the comment section. You can also like our Facebook page and check us out on Reddit, Twitter, Patreon. Patrons do get a priority in requesting new cases or topics, but we will try to get to all requests regardless. We have a growing list of cases that have been requested to be covered. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Sid Irwin. We'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> oh man, that was a weird one. That's right.
man, that's messed up. Super messed up. I mean, really even of- even even some of those cases from like a hundred years ago, they at least like you know took something from the person they were uh, framing and just dropped it at the scene. You know, like something as easy as that. Like they didn't even bother to do that. Like what the heck? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it just doesn't make sense with all the technology. Even in '96, like you know, that's just you know, it, 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 like it just doesn't make sense. Like you have all this forensics, and yet it comes down to, like you said, the testimony of two known street criminals. Like unless doesn't... unless we're missing something, what if they were? What if they did want to plant the gun or something on him? They just never really had the opportunity, or something happened where they couldn't do it. But it was part of the plan, and then it went wrong. Does that account for that? <laughs> I mean, even still, though, to to put in that big arrest job, that wouldn't have still been necessary. If yeah, already, we don't know. Yes, yeah, the details you know the person with the final you know they have no clue that you know what you're about to do to them there literally is no need to rush yeah we don't yeah we yeah we don't know the fact that you know this guy dying wasn't a part of any of their plans but they just saw an opportunity yeah well what if what if they were instructed either if these two so-called uh state star witnesses if they were being instructed by law enforcement to frame germaine what if they were instructed to plant certain things, but they were either too incompetent or got scared and just didn't do it or forgot about it if they were on drugs or whatever, if they forgot to do the planting. So that was, that's why it looks so sloppy. But it was part of the plan to plant. <laughs> Indeed. But still, it's just weird to me that, you know, that this just, it's just so weird because, you know, this guy is murdered and these two people are associated with him. Like for like you said months beforehand and then they're also associated with Jermaine to some degree which is just a whole lot of convenience in a lot of weird ways yes yes many coincidences here and I'm even curious about what this guy particularly the one who's the victim himself who is he really like is he just an average Joe running person if I work a desk job somewhere or does he have some connections with the police themselves? Maybe he, who knows, can know things about them. Saw their corruption, they just had to quiet them, and they're like, well, we can kill two birds with one stone. Oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. That's a good point, yeah. We'll have to we'll have to dive deep into that as well. <laughs> no, that is, man, because sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, like, the obvious reason for some things being done is like, the person that's having things done to them, the other person that had things done, and you're like, huh, 